0: How you doing? This is Quincy McKnight. You listen to Left Coast Pirates. Haul in.
1: seconds to go down by two. Here's Whitehead.
0: Guarded by Ochefu, gets the step into the lane, goes to the bucket, layup, rolls around and in, and a foul! Whitehead ties the game! Pound from
1: Trent! What Trent makes, the world takes! From just west of the Ward Place Gate insane. California. He is Mike Desiree, class of 2001. I am Tom Kaharski, class of 1997, and we are Left Coast Pirates. Welcome to this week's edition of Left Coast Pirates. It is February 27th, 2022. Michael we're coming to the end of the season, baby.
0: I mean, I, b- before we get this episode started, you'd you think I'd be in a good mood, but I have a major gripe here before Uh-oh. we even get Uh-oh. this podcast What's started. I- I'm going to call you out on the there. carpet in, fr- in front of the fan base and the listeners, and I'm going to question your dedication to <laughs> Left Coast Pirates. I- I'm sorry. I-, I understand that, you know, you and the family went for a little weekend getaway, a little, little ski vacation but I think there needs to be prioritization relative in the middle of the season and what kind of dedication you bring to the podcast. See, now don't get me wrong. I know the tireless work that you do behind the scenes to edit, to get the guests lined up for the summer series, to keep me on track when we do these shows. I, that, that's not forgotten, but you, you got to pony up here, buddy. Unless you need to start a GoFundMe page, but you should have made sure that you had an extra bedroom available at the ski lodge to step aside and record the podcast i'm down in florida a few years back and i'm packing in my suitcase all the gear to interview our tourists no no slacking on my part my friend we skipped a whole week in the middle of crunch time heading into march what are you doing
1: well mike you know if you weren't such a shut-in You'd understand going away with your family a little bit here, Mike. You know, we took a trip up to Mammoth, which is an eight hour drive up the freeway. It's in the middle of nowhere. The first thing on the on the sheet, when you get to the lodge, it says Internet service is not reliable, everyone. Nothing's reliable up there. It's a resort town, Michael. There's nothing but mountains and snow. So y- you can't get it there Mike I know you went to you went to Florida you brought your microphone different set of circumstances my friend
0: I'm just talking about setting expectations. I mean, I very easily could have reached out to a former guest, you know, former WSOU broadcaster, Mike he could have come on as a little guest appearance. We could have had the show go on, Tommy. Come I on. Have, I
1: would have loved to see you try to do the technical side of this work, Mike. I would have loved seeing it, but you know, Hey, I had a good time. I'm sorry, Mike. All
0: right, so so speaking expectations, in my mind, I thought we were going to be going into these last four games and probably come away with a split. You know, expected the loss at UConn, needed a win at DePaul, wasn't pretty, got the home victory against DePaul, backed it up with another semi-stinker against Butler, but the the end result was there, and then I figured they kind of give one back at Xavier, but lo and behold, the Pirates end this little two-week stretch with a three and one result, and they're back in the driver's seat, Tom. Now I, I can't just completely ignore the fact that we played those prior two games last week that we skipped over. So I think we, before we get moving forward, we kind of need to bundle that UConn DePaul game into kind of the sloppiness of the the Butler, and kind of still do our normal shtick: give the blue tinted glasses, give the sour grapes and gripes, and then treat Xavier as its own little animal, as it was just an off the charts. Phenomenal performance by the Pirates when they needed it most.
1: You know, it sounds good to me, buddy. So this week on the podcast, we will review the last two weeks of gameplay for the Pirates and then preview the big upcoming last week of the Biggie schedule against Georgetown and Creighton. But first, Mike, let's talk about those games. Let's review these things. We're
0: not doing a play-by-play analysis like we normally do. No, no, no. let's, Let's
1: talk about what's going on here. So we had three games in that kind of mishmash of play. It was UConn 70, Seton Hall 65, Seton Hall 66, DePaul 64, and finally Seton Hall 66, Butler 60.
0: Yeah, I'm I'm not going to go diving into the minutiae of the stats either. I'll give you a couple highlights, right? So obviously Jared Roden stepped up in a big moment and gave you 18 points and 18 rebounds in the win versus DePaul. You had Samuel Yetten and Harris combined for 35 points off the bench to hold off Butler, specifically Samuel having the, the big breakout game that we were hoping for, giving you 15 points and five boards. Uh, there was contributions from many guys to get you through that little stretch. And so, so let, let's dive into it. Let's, let's talk about what was good about those victories. Cause at the end of the day, the pirates did what they needed to do and held serve regardless of the, uh, the eye appeal of, of those games.
1: You know, we heard it over and over and over that style points don't get you nothing, but a win is a win is a win. And Hey, they did what they had to do against the Paul and Butler coming off that loss at UConn.
0: So, uh, here's my thing with the win is a win is a win. I think it matters at what point in the season. So if you're telling me we're coming down the home stretch, uh, you want to build momentum. So, I mean, and I guess we were a little frustrated by, you know, the the direction and maybe some of those games were going, but you needed the win, right? You couldn't stub your toe like they did in, in the home stretch to end last season. If they had just barely squeaked one by in, let's say, the third conference game, I'm probably going to be a little bit more grumpy. But in this situation, I agree with you that a win is a win is a win. But none of this like, hey, every game in the Big East should be a tough game. They should have did better, but but I'll take the win.
1: (laughs) I don't want to hear that every game is a battle and on any given night you could lose. Of course, any given night you could lose. But you shouldn't be losing to the dregs, to the bottom of the conference, Michael. But, you know, even in these two tough wins against DePaul and Butler, guys stepped up. We had some big-time clutch buckets and play during those games. I mean, I'm going to start off with my guy, man. Tyrese Samuel going 4 for 4 from the line in the final minutes of play against DePaul. Paul. Big time, baby.
0: You bought a lottery ticket after that, right? I absolutely
1: you did? did. $2 and a dream, Mikey. But in addition <laughs> to that, Richmond hit the final game-winning shot against the Paul with 29 seconds left to play. Miles Kale came in, a game-winning jumper with 21 seconds left to play against Butler. And, and Jameer Harris, who's playing a lot better recently, sealed it with two free throws with six seconds left.
0: All right, so let's let's go back and talk about some of those plays specifically. Yeah. That, that, that was fool's gold, if you ask me. Tyrese hit the free throws. But hey, they, oh, they, they were clutch. You, you
1: just can't I'm, be, not, um, take, I'm you, not taking I'm not taking my God. chances with Goodness, Tyrese Michael. making four
0: clutch free throws Give down the stretch the of any game.
1: Dreaded. He's doing a lot better from the line this year than he did last year.
0: Uh, is he, or is he just doing better as he's progressed throughout the season? Oh,
1: Michael, you are, you are shameful. You are just <laughs> shameful. Michael. All right,
0: but but let's, let's go back to, you know, Kadari hits the game winning bucket. It wasn't like it was a tie game. It wasn't like it was back and forth. Seton hall gives away the lead, right? Roden gives that pick six turnover when DePaul put the ball through the nets you saw this like dejected body language from Roden as he grabbed the ball to inbound as Seton Hall came back down the court. And lo and behold, we have the big answers in those final moments when Seton Hall retakes the lead on Kadari's bucket. I mean, it, it, there were moments there where you felt like, oh my goodness, we're going to lose this one. And, and he pulled the rabbit out of his hat, kind of. That, that's a different type of clutch basket there. The season really could have gone completely off the rails if they don't find a way to salvage that victory. And then, look, I'm not picking on Kale, but it's not like you know Kale was scorching the nets before he hit that essentially game-saving or game-icing jumper. He makes an early bucket in the game. He ends up finishing two for eight from the field, and that last shot that he made comes with under 30 seconds to play. I mean, it was an ice-water-in-his-veins type shot, but here's Miles, one of seven on the night at that point, and you're like, oh, here we go. We're getting one of those Miles Kale is going to fade into the background kind of games. And he steps up in a huge moment to bail them out because if they don't get a bucket there, I don't know if they hold off Butler from either sending that game into overtime or possibly losing on a three point shot. Butler had all the momentum. Like I said, Tom, I walked away from those two victories with a little bit of pit of a, like a pit in my stomach because it just didn't feel right as they were closing out those games. But huge moments nonetheless. Without a
1: doubt, Mike, you know, going out of those games, it didn't feel like we won. It didn't feel the good teams in this part of the schedule start playing better. They start peaking. And at that point, it didn't look like Seton Hall was doing anything.
0: Well, I also feel like Kevin knew he was kind of in a desperation mode. I mean, Jared Roden, God bless him. He played 113 minutes of the 120 minutes available into that game. He really didn't trust anybody else in terms of his depth or changing up his rotation at this point with Harris now playing more backup minutes, of point guard with Kadari being under the weather in these games. He really relied on Jared to kind of be, you know, give him essentially 40 minutes a game at the small forward position. I know I know Roden logs, large minutes to begin with, but he wasn't taking Roden off that floor. If he didn't have to,
1: you know, Mike, I know he's got a lot of trust in Roden, but it's not like Roden's been tearing up the score sheet here, Mike. I mean, he's he went 18 and 18 against the Paul, but his shooting is still way under 50%. He's not being very efficient out there and just like you mentioned, coming down the stretch, he throws away that pass for that pick-six steal. I mean, you know, he's he's leading on Jared but up until this point, he's not really getting a whole lot out of it, Mike. Come on. Uh,
0: this is, it's a lot. It's a lot on his shoulders. So, I mean, it's not like he completely disappointed. The guy went for 18 and 18. I know his numbers against Butler didn't jump off the charts. I know he had an underwhelming game against UConn. But at the end of the day, it's not for lack of effort. You we—we know, we could I could sit there and break down Jared's position defensively, but the guy crashed the glass for 18 boards. I got to put him in the blue tid to glasses section. I just have to.
1: Uh, you could give him the blue-tinted glasses for grabbing those 18 boards, but just simply playing a boatload of minutes, that's not a whole lot to cheer about, Mike. To me, that's making it sound like, well, we had to play him because we don't trust anybody to back
0: him up. Tommy, were you uninspired by the performance that you got from Jared Roden? Were you un unins- Because I felt uninspired from like the entire collective package that was on the floor for those three games.
1: The whole three games were uninspiring, Mike. It didn't seem like we were playing all that well, even when we had these big leads. I mean, the Butler game, Mike, we had Butler on their heels. We were up by 16 with 6 minutes, 38 seconds left. And what happens? They go to 13-0 run.
0: Yeah, I, like I, I don't know what to say. Even in the UConn game, I know they hung around in the UConn game, but it never felt like they really had a shot to win that game in the second half. They just UConn was outclassing them, in my opinion, for the full 40 minutes of the game. It was just a matter of when UConn was going to kind of finish off that victory. I know the final score was five, but it didn't really feel that close from the second half on. And to be honest, I just, I felt like that lackluster effort or the, the lack of ability to kind of hang with the better UConn team. I felt like the fans were kind of struggling. Right? We were still two games under 500 in conference play coming back home for that DePaul game. And was it just me or did it not seem that that crowd in the DePaul game was not there to support the team when it needed it most. Well, I'm not you know, saying the fans I'm not saying the fans in the building were not loud, but the sheer volume of fans in attendance was a little disappointing.
1: Well, it even got worse at, at the Butler game, Mike. I mean, there was fewer and fewer people showing up. I don't want to hear that it's a Wednesday night game at 8:30. I get it. And and with the St. John's Creighton game going long, it even pushed out the starting time to 8:45. I understand it, but you've got about 14 or 15 home games all season long over a four-month period to go through. Get to the game, okay? Support
0: your team. You're still in the hunt. It wasn't just the fans, Tom, that, in my opinion, were a struggle. It was, it was a little bit of everything. Look, Seton Hall's shooting <laughs> struggled in these three games. Against UConn, they shot 42%, DePaul, 36 and Butler, 40%. I mean, they won two games that, once again... They shot 40% or less. You're not going to win too many games when that's your metrics from the overall field. And just to even throw some more stats at you, 30 assists versus 32 turnovers. I mean, the the Xavier performance was going to be much more uplifting in terms of our attitude. But if you looked at just these three games in a vacuum, there, there was a lot to be disgruntled about. So, so I, I get where the fans were coming from, but it still is March end of February pushing towards another NCAA tournament appearance opportunity. I just, I I thought the team was lacking energy. I thought the fans were lacking energy. I walked away from watching those games just a little uninspired and unfulfilled. I just didn't have the energy to even really talk to you about it, about chatting up notes or opinions after those three games.
1: So, so we, this is what we come from. We come from a loss at UConn. We barely scratch one away against DePaul, and then we almost totally give up an entire 16-point lead against Butler. And we're heading to Cincinnati to play a Xavier team who should be a dangerous team at this point. They've been playing kind of poorly over the last couple weeks. They're going to be at home. Zach Fremantle, the Jersey kid, has got a lot to prove against the Seton Hall team that in the previous game he got tossed from. This had a recipe for disaster, Michael.
0: Because you were frustrated not knowing if this team had found its way yet playing without Bryce Aiken. I mean, the news... Is starting to hit all the reporting that Bryce is not going to be back now. This is the roster. They're six and four without him, but some of those wins have been pretty lackluster. You know, you had a moment against Xavier for a half. You had a complete game against Creighton. But beyond those moments, you were like, is this team a team that's going to get you excited about March? Is this a team that has an opportunity to, you know, to knock off a bigger opponent down the road? And there was nothing about the play on court recently that made you feel that way until...
1: You know what, Mike? Kevin Willard's got his COVID complaints, his scheduling complaints, and you've got nothing but your Bryce Aiken's not coming back talk again. As we roll into the Xavier game, Seton Hall 82, Xavier 66. The Pirates and Musketeers went toe-to-toe for the first 12 minutes, tied at 22-all. Then an NBA three from Jared Roden and two more from Trey Jackson surged the Hall to a 38-31 halftime advantage. Two Adam Kunkel free throws cut the lead to six with just over 12 minutes to play, but they would draw no closer as Seton Hall had an answer at every big moment. After Trey Jackson drilled his fifth three-pointer of the day, the Pirates had built the lead back to 13 and were well on their
0: way to victory. I mean, the the fans probably think we got this whole little comedy routine planned out about these transitions at one point. I literally just tried to softball lob that to you, and you cannot control yourself. You have to take a shot at me about bringing up Bryce Aiken. That's the way I felt. A lot of fans felt that way. We're like, hey, look, you got all these big games that you've won, and Bryce was the closer. I'm not off my rocker here. Don't you have
1: have stats to talk about? That's
0: on this one. Jared Roden beat up on Jared. All you want. He stepped up career high, Tommy. Check the box for the seat and hold column for once 30 points, eight of 14 from the floor, 12 of 13 from the line. Kadari Richmond played an all around good game, 12 points all in the second half, seven assists. And you mentioned it. Trey Jackson, 17 points, a perfect six of six from the floor, five for five from distance. For the opposition, it was really only Colby Jones, 20 points, 10 rebounds. Jack Nungi got shut down. Paul Scruggs wasn't as effective. I mean, that's that duel was lethal in the first matchup. And they only combined for four points going into the half. As a team, the hall was spot on. The shooting numbers, 52% from the floor, 42% from the three-point line, eight of 19, 84% from the free throw line, 16 of 19, 13 assists versus only nine turnovers, and they held a 17-4 to four advantage on points off of turnovers. Tom, to me, that the turning point is middle of the second half, Xavier cuts it to six after those Kunkel free throws that you mentioned, and Jameer Harris, in my opinion, made his best two plays as a lead guard all year on back-to-back possessions. The first time, he runs pick-and-roll with Tyrese, and he dishes it off for an easy layup. The second time he's going left, not a strong hand, and they start hedging off, expecting that pass to come back to Tyrese again. And what does he do? A little left handed floater in the lane, right off glass. Boom. Lead back to 10. And Xavier never really recovered after that.
1: What is the world coming to? Even Coach Willard brought that up in the post game with. Gary and Dave, my goodness, Michael, you're agreeing with coach now. You must be in a good mood.
0: I was even agreeing with the Seton Hall world out there, right? Big East men's basketball on Twitter with the social media post of the day. As complete a victory as Seton Hall men's basketball has had all year. That's the best way to summarize this game. I mean, we're going to get break into the minutiae of it like we do, but Tom... A couple of years ago, I asked for a Picasso and they came out and wiped the floor with Marquette on senior day at their place. This was as good of a game as we played, in my opinion, all the way back to that performance.
1: I think the Seton Hall Creighton game at the Rock a few weeks ago could be in that competition as well. But I'll, I'll give it to you, Mike. On the road, a desperate Xavier team. Okay, I'll buy it, Mike. But how did they do it, Mike? What do you think?
0: I dare say this. We might actually have an offensive philosophy to build off of. Dare I say it? It's Kadari Richmond drawing double teams in the post and then moving the ball out crisply. And then the team swinging the ball around the perimeter for the open three, which predominantly ended up being Trey Jackson in this last game. I mean, Nick Ba was all over it and t- talking about, hey, he loved how Kadari was in control. Over running the offense from that dominant position where he held an advantage throughout most of the game. And if you go back to the UConn matchup, he was flustered. They were running two guys at him that were lengthy guys. He was lost, didn't know where he wanted to go with the ball. But this time it was immediate. He knew the double team was coming and he got them into an offensive flow by getting the ball inside out and moving the defense. Tom, it, it looked like an offense.
1: Now, think about the advantage Seton All has here. You've got a six foot six, powerful, big point guard that can back up basically anybody on the court and then has got the vision to get that ball to the open man. good look.
0: And, hey man, like, I, I probably don't want to give him as much credit as I'm going to give him here, but Harris is starting to come into his own in terms of this backup point guard role. I don't want to see him. Log in 30 minutes in a ball distribution scenario, but what he did in that sequence of the turning point and what he's done uh, in logging the minutes of the Butler game when Kadari was under the weather, he's been more than serviceable as the backup point guard when the reality was maybe a little bit of lead guard, more of a you know spot up three point lethal shooter, and now you're asking him to really be your backup point guard when he probably was like, what, fifth on the depth chart at the beginning of the season for that role? Got to give Harris his due here. He's playing very well in this role he's being asked to play, kind of like, you know, on a at, on a moment's notice as these injuries have been taking place.
1: You, you know what I enjoy the most about Harris's play lately is the pace he's pushing the ball at. It's not necessarily the fast break, but he's getting the ball down court quickly. He's making decisions. It's not like he's sitting there banging the ball into the ground, looking to make a play. He's moving the ball quickly. I like it.
0: He looks more confident. I felt like when he was attacking the basket early in the season, you know, there was a little um, uh, going in amongst the trees and maybe rushing things a little bit. He, he looks more confident now going to the basket. I think he's also looking to pass first where early in the season, he was just trying to score and make an impact. Cause it was, he was expected to be a scorer in his role coming off the bench. Now I think he understands that he doesn't have to score to impact the final result.
1: And you know who else looked real comfortable on that court? Man, I guess it's not just Butler that he makes baskets against because Jared Roden had his two most efficient games this season during the Biggies play against
0: Xavier. I mean, he had the 25 and then backed it up with 30 the second time through. I mean, I, I don't think Travis Steele is going to be upset not having to see Jared Roden for the rest of the season. But I mean... If you think about it, it's, it's kind of shocking. This effort from Jared was the first time that he shot over 50% from the floor for an entire game, dating all the way back to the Ohio State effort early in the season when he went 8 for 15. Remember, he goes 8 of 14 in this game. He's had other good performances, but even the first time against Xavier, he was still 8 of 18. You know, I noticed another common thread between these games. So you got to go back and Jared's most effective when he's getting to the line. And he hasn't been doing that in in his recent games. He got to the line 13 times in the Xavier game, that Ohio state game when he scored 28, 13 times, first time versus Xavier seven. So that's, that's 20 free throw attempts in the two Xavier games. He had 31 trips to the line in his previous 12 conference games, not counting the two Xavier games. That's, that's mind-boggling. I mean, if he could just be aggressive and get to the rim, I think other parts of his game are going to open up, specifically the mid-range, which he wasn't having to force from 18 feet. He was getting foul line and under, and when he takes that shot, it's a pretty money shot for him. But teams had scouted that. they took taken away his ability to get all the way to the rim, and he was settling for much longer two-point jumpers. In this game, it was quintessential Jared that we saw early on in the conference slate. And if you get that, Jared, this is a dangerous team.
1: And I'm not ready to say that Jared Roden's moved back into contention for the Hagerty Award, Michael, but he played really well. But you know what was going really well for the Pirates as well? It's been the three-point shooting. Not only Trey Jackson, who was perfect from downtown, five for five, but the team's been shooting pretty well lately as
0: well. Trick or treat, Tommy. Trick or treat. <laughs> I mean, come on. We were saying that there's no way that they were going to shoot over that 33. I said over to start the season. They gave you a couple games against the you know, weaker opponents, and then all of a sudden, you know, everything fell apart. But as the ball gets shared more often, and this is not to be a knock at, at Bryce per se, but if the ball is stagnant, you're not ready to shoot. You're not. You're not getting your feel for the game as much because you're watching somebody else go ISO, and you're not getting as much touches. We're getting into the flow of the action. Hey, the ball is getting shared now, and, and maybe that has something to do with the better three-point shooting across the board. In their last eleven games, they're shooting thirty-eight percent, and not a, just like you know a minuscule uh, amount—eight per game on almost twenty-one attempts. So it is a you know significant part of their offense. If I told you Bryce went out when Bryce was shooting thirty-five percent, and their percentages were going to jump up. You would have thought I was nuts.
1: Yeah, I guess you're not going to poo-poo the 40% shooting anymore, are you going to, Mike?
0: But <laughs> in a, it, it, like, it, it helps when the right guys are shooting them, though, no? I well,
1: mean, t- like you mentioned, I mean, Trey Jackson, during this stretch, is shooting at an unconscious 48% clip, Mike. And it's not like we're running offense designed for him. I know Kevin Willard in the post game said, "Oh, we put a few more things in to get Trey shots." But come on, man, those those aren't coming off a set plays for Trey.
0: So, so maybe we should run him some more plays. What well, what a concept here, right? Huh? Or or I, I you just need I, I to like get him more shots. I mean, he or took... I like Trey in the pick and pop action. I, you just got to be careful that other teams don't catch on. Right? There's certain guys that are pick and roll guys there are certain guys that are pick and pop guys. Sandro fell in love with being a pick and pop guy last year. And towards the end of the season, they were kind of shading for him to kind of float out to the line. Trey likes to float to the line. And if he's going to bang him down and they're going to give him a little bit of space being as tall as he is, he's going to get his shot up over most guys. So I'm fine with that, but he's got to add a little bit of variety and once in a while attack the basket off the pick and roll, or, you know, give a, give a little pump fake off that three-point line, take his guy to the basket like we know he can, because if he can keep guys out of his face, that's a weapon. I don't expect him to shoot 48%, but give me something in the 40% range, and you could stretch the defense down. Now, all of a sudden, a guy like Kadari can operate in the post without them hedging down. He could beat his guy off the dribble, and they can't collapse the paint with their four guy. There's so much more that can open up here. And hey, what a concept. Maybe Harris gets in the mix because the floor is spaced more because a guy like Trey is stretching the defense. Uh, there's, there's just a lot of positives, and I don't want to dive into sour grapes and gripes, but conversely, I did say I want to see the right guys take the three-pointers, and yet, lately, man, you know, during that same stretch, you know the Pirates are shooting 38%, and he's he's shooting 22% to bring that number down, and it's not like he's taking a few attempts. You wanna, You want to take a guess? Right now, Jackson's averaging 3.4 attempts per game, which kind of makes sense, right? What do you think getting is averaging in shot attempts per game? You're the, the number guy,
1: Mike. I know this is your ball. Away. This is two your... and a half.
0: Two, is that acceptable? He, he's, a, he's a big body banger. He's your clean the glass man. And he's shooting two and a half attempts from three at a 22% clip. Uh, you know, I mean, I, and I'm an you analytics know, guy. So normally I'll defend this whole the game is changing. Let the guy take the shot. but I, But I'm going to bore you with some more numbers just to kind of prove a point here. You know, everyone picks on Roden and says Roden shouldn't be shooting the three because he hasn't been efficient this year. But Roden shoots 42% from two-point range, and he shoots 33% from three-point range. So the concept is pretty simple. Extrapolate that over, what, 100 shots. So over 100 shots, Roden's going to score 84 points from two-point range, and he's going to score 99 points from three-point range. So whether you like his three-point game or not, the analytics say, shoot the three, Take the same math for Yetna, and you're like, what are you doing? Yetna shoots 51% from two-point range, pretty much close close range to the rim, and then he's shooting 22% from three-point range. That's 102 points in the paint, over 100 shots, compared to 66 from three-point range. The, the, the math is off. I mean, I don't want to be rude, but Willard should be telling certain guys, you got the green light, and others... I want to see him reel it back in a little bit, especially when we're losing a big body under the glass when he's shooting it. Since you're already griping about
1: things here, what else do you want to complain about?
0: I don't have much. That's why I'm griping right now. I'll, I'll give you something. I'll, I'll reach a little bit here, right? I think you got to maintain your composure at all times, especially you know as you're getting into crunch time during tournament play, you know down the stretch in crucial moments. kadari was playing a great second half. And that was impressive that he took, what, it was Fremantle, like 6'9", six, 6'10", six, and he backed him down in the post, gave him his Akimelajerum repertoire of fakes and twists, and he, and he puts the bucket for the foul right in his face. That's good enough. You don't need to trash talk. Oh,
1: I mean, 1951, Michael Desiri is back on the mic, folks. You thought you were going to miss him. Mike, they were talking a little trash. They were going back and forth. And you know what? Qadari got the best of them. And the ref ended up blowing the whistle because just like in football, the second guy's the one who gets in trouble. I don't care about that. That was bring the, the trash talk a little no, bit. No, the game Zach is changed. Back the,
0: off. The game is soft nowadays. I'm not saying don't be tough. Don't don't back down to your opponent, but hey, Fremantle was involved in some melee extracurricular stuff in the last time that we played them. So I guarantee you the, the referees are on high alert to keep a closer eye on those situations. So you got to be aware of what the circumstance is coming into that game versus what went down last time. Hey, there was no foul trouble, but what if Kadari already had three fouls? And he hits that big key bucket, and all of a sudden he's got to now come out of the game because the technical foul becomes his fourth foul. It's and all ifs of a sudden you lo- But
1: Michael, he wasn't saying. in foul trouble. It wasn't an if. As a matter of fact, the guys who lost their composure was Xavier Paul Scruggs gets one for complaining to the refs after he clearly bumps Jared Roden 25 feet away from the basket. Jack Nunge, I have never seen a guy complain as much as Jack Nunge with as little talent as that guy has. Oh, my goodness.
0: I, I, and Zach Fremantle,
1: see, I, there's the biggest wannabe tough guy. But then again, what can you expect from guys from T
0: Neck? I I did say I was reaching, so I'm I'm just saying, you know, if you're going to nitpick anything, keep your composure, you're the point guard, you got to control, you're you're on the road, nitpicking here. I mean, look, the Pirates clearly played their A game for the first time without Bryce Aiken. But if if I'm going to take a knock at that, look, I mean, Xavier had lost after this performance. Six out of their last seven, they're reeling. They have more problems than we do right now. They were coming off of that three overtime, gut wrenching loss, you know, uh, at the Dunkin' Donuts Center when they missed the opportunity to knock off Providence. It, it, there's a little bit of psychology in all this. Kevin Willard makes you believe that, right? So they got to travel back late. They don't get back till three o'clock in the morning. You know, they, they're dejected. They really needed that win. You know, so may, maybe the Pirates caught Xavier at the right moment. You know, at, at the end of the day, I am positive that a game like this gives you hope that if they play to their potential, they play their best game, they could probably hang with most teams in the country, even without Bryce Aiken. So even though we're talking sour grapes, grapes to me, that was the biggest silver lining from this was not only was it a huge win in terms of their resume, it gives you a hope that they could possibly put together a couple performances like this and knock off a big boy You know, in the middle of March,
1: you are in some good mood here. And I'm wondering if you're going to actually keep that good mood as we roll into our favorite segment.
0: And now, deep thoughts with Kevin Willard.
1: Post game with Gary and Dave when the Pirates win is always, you know, puppy dogs and ice cream. Uh, You know, with with coach Willard, because he's always in such a good mood. He's jovial. He's joking around. He's he's ready for a good time, which is in direct comparison to when actually the guys lose. Gary brings up a question about senior night and and, uh, let's see what coach has to say with three straight wins under your belt. You've got senior night on Wednesday night, and it's kind of an odd senior night in that, you know, between the seniors and the grad students, some of whom were honored last year, you're going to have a, a big class to honor. Yeah,
0: I mean, last year was kind of BS just because we didn't have fans. I mean, there was, I think, like, 800 people in the building. Um, you know, I'm really hoping our fans come out and really give this this senior class, you know, uh, the send-off they deserve. You know, it's obviously it's a
1: huge game. You know, it's, it's a big game against... Uh, Georgetown, who you know they're fighting, man.
0: They're they're not winning, but they're fighting, and that and that's you know we gotta we gotta take get home, get a day off, uh, get back in practice, and work on some things, and get ready for a tough Georgetown team. Okay, Tommy, you asked me to stay positive. Challenge accepted. Coach is spot on. He's right. He's absolutely one hundred percent correct in all things that he makes points about in 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 these in this segment here. It's an important game for the Pirates, clearly, but they can't take Georgetown for granted. Georgetown, regardless of the fact that they're winless, they've been fighting, they've been scrapping. You take a conference opponent lightly, you're going to find a way to possibly blow a game or be in a dogfight that you didn't expect. And yeah, last year was a bit of BS. I mean, when you go out and you watch Miles Powell in front of a packed house against Villanova, and he's crying and holding up his placard, and it's seventeen thousand fans cheering. Is that the same as a hollow, empty arena with 800 people? I mean, and then Bryce got honored last year and he's going to come back and do it again, along with Miles Gale. Everything's just a little weird from last year. And the fans should come out to just kind of almost put a bow on a culmination of these last two years in a huge spot for the Pirates to win and punch their ticket. Why would you not want to be here?
1: See, the, I look at it a little differently, Mike. The previous week, you had very limited crowds against the Paul and Butler. I know they said there was about 8,000 people at the Butler game. I don't know if they all sat off camera, Mike, because every time Butler was shooting free throws in the first half, all you saw was swaths of empty seats Behind the Seton Hall bench and on the sideline and if you looked at the crowd behind the officials table There was just openings left and right So maybe this is a slight jab to say yes We understand that Georgetown is not exactly tearing up the Big East this year But please come out and support your seniors
0: I'm I'm just confused. What do you want at this point? Right. They're right on the doorstep of going back to the tournament. They're, they're relevant. Yes. Yes. They hit their January swoon. Yes. The play on the court has been at times uninspiring, but they're there. They're there to go back to the dance. I mean, if you're a season ticket holder and you get a package of 15 games to go to 14 games to go to what's the point if you're going to skip out on half of them, Cause I don't like the matchup. I don't like the game start. You know, it's, it's, it's on a weeknight. It's a little icy yet live in the, in the Northeast, the weather's not going to be good during basketball season. You're not going to have a Texas come into town. That's a ranked opponent with a big name every game. So what, what do you want I don't. I don't get it.
1: I look at it this way, my Sporting events always have something to see, and they always could have something you've never seen before. Something that makes you say, "Whoa, did you see that?" But Mike. <laughs> oh man! Oh <laughs> man!
0: Oh jeez! It's, it's not. I, necessarily... I don't know what's more painful: watching the Butler game or listening to us trying to get back on the horse again here. Holy moly!
1: It's not exactly, Whoa! did you see that? But Mike, what did you hear the boos coming down from the crowd at the Cintas Center, man? Those Musketeer fans were giving it to Xavier.
0: Well, I I find it interesting because I think it parallels to what we saw at Walsh Gym after the St. John's effort, right? And after that happened, it was how dare we do that, right? How dare we kind of give that kind of, you know, emotion to our players to our coaches to the program and there was a lot of mixed emotions about how that whether it was handled correctly or if that should be the appropriate response uh, I'm on the side of you don't boo players in terms of direct uh, chastising or heckling you know I, I think the coach is kind of fair game because he's a salaried employee right, to an extent Right. He's being paid to put a, a good product on the floor. He's a professional. If,
1: you can move professionals. OK, uh,
0: but but Willard got a little defensive when, when that went down in the St. John's game. And I was more, "Whoa, did you see that in the Travis Steele postgame? Because obviously he got asked the question of, you know, how, how do you feel about that? And I thought he gave a completely 180 response to Kevin Willard. And I I appreciated his answer. He says, listen, toughen up, toughen up. If fans are going to bother you booing or saying stuff on social media, then you're not made to be here. Toughen up. We've got a great fan base. They care. They're passionate. I want people in that gym. We want as many people as we can. We put on a performance like that tonight. That's fair. That's fair. So toughen up. You know, I mean, maybe maybe the crowd was just booing that
1: workout gear that Travis Steele was wearing, <laughs> man. I mean, he looked like he got off the, straight off the elliptical to come and coach that game. Maybe that's what they were booing.
0: I don't think the guys on the hot seat potentially now with the way that they are floundering in February. You know, I, that that might be something to catch on. The floundering February musketeers. Yeah, but, but they've been fading down the stretch in several of the last couple seasons, you know, costing them NCAA tournament appearances. You know, they lost to DePaul in the Big East tournament right before COVID canceled 2020 postseason. And then last year they faded out and they're fading out right now, too. So he, he could have been really, really defensive. And he manned up ball himself and to his players to be like, look, you know, this is a special arena that you play in. Let's put this into context. Seton Hall goes into this building and wins for the fourth straight time all by double digits. And I don't think we understand the magnitude of that success. They've only lost in that building by double digits since it opened back in 2000, 10 times. Since they opened that building once again in 2000, they have an 85% winning percentage, 281 and 48. In 2018, that arena was voted the eighth toughest home court advantage and they played to an average capacity of 98 percent during that time period sign me up
1: and you know sign me up and it's not like the weather in cincinnati during basketball seasons is any good either mike so those, cra- those guys come out, watch that team, and support it. You know, Travis Steele doesn't run from these things. Travis Steele, a couple weeks ago, had that issue where he let out that expletive during a moment of silence when he wasn't prepared for it. He stood up and, and apologized for that behavior. This time, he stood up and took his lumps for saying, yes, yeah, you know what, they booed us, it's, it's our fault Toughen up. That that's a good look for man. That's a that's a real good mic drop there, Mike.
0: Look, it's a good look for Seton Hall. It's just really quite an accomplishment when they needed that big win to once again back it up for a fourth straight time going into that environment and getting an important win. So across the board, a whoa, did you see that moment? Uh just really uplifting for, for the pirates after what we, like I said, saw the first three games prior to this matchup. Uh but speaking of what you saw, let's talk about what we heard. Uh, the mic flops and mic drops for this week. I'm gonna focus in on just Nick Ba alone, who did the color for that Xavier game. And I I, 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 you pointed this out to me, so I'll, I'll give you, I'll give you the credit. But you said that Nick Ba said Kadari Richmond was brought in to play a complimentary role, ball handling, and then he goes on to say how well of a job he's doing. I, I think people forget the narrative that Kadari started at point guard. He was the X factor that everybody was talking about. He was the player that was going to bring Seton Hall back to that next level again. And then Bryce Aiken signs on for one more year at the very last moment and then supplants him in the starting role as the season progresses. I think people have forgotten about that progression of the Seton Hall roster throughout the year. So Mike flopped for Nick relative to that, but then I'll throw it back to you. What did you think about Nick's overall performance calling a game after we've had to sit through the Steve Lapises, the Pete Gillins of the world on all the games that have been recently called on the CBS sports network. Give me your take on Nick.
1: I I think Nick is one of the better announcers here, Mike. And I think Brandon Gordon had a good day too. I, I thought it was a really easy listen uh, you know, they don't they don't go to the standbys that some of these guys do They didn't sound like they were half in the bag with a few of the uh, Old-timers that we end up having to listen to over the past few weeks who we won't bring up their names But no, it was a good crew. I, I enjoyed it and Mike. Oh my goodness. They were actually at the arena. Can you believe it? They didn't just do it from the L.A. Studios like uh, your boy, Casey Jacobson has been doing. Why is he my boy? Why is he my boy? Because he's your boy. You like Casey Jacobson. There's moments where I like Casey, but
0: Casey's been letting me down lately. I'm I'm sorry. (laughs) Don't don't make him my boy here. Uh, Look, (laughs) they weren't giving you any of their go to phrases. They weren't giving you their hot takes. And what's been driving me lately is all the hot takes on social media. So if it's okay with you, I'm going to take Mike flops and drops and take it one step further. And I'm going to do my social media flops this week relative to all the hot takes that've been out there. Cause I think people throw things out there without pausing and thinking about the context of what they're saying, or was there a different moment in time that uh, disputes what they're spewing. Right? So on Twitter, the Setonian basically comes out as the Stonian sports, excuse me, comes out and says in perhaps the least stressful pirates game in recent memory, Seton hall rolled over Xavier 82 to 66 at the Cintas center on Saturday afternoon. And as you said to me earlier in the episode, I thought that Creighton game was, was, was pretty much in hand. No. So six games prior to this, just six games. They crushed Creighton wire to wire in a game that they led 23 to three. How quickly do we forget that that, that game was not stressful? You're, you're telling me there was a lot of stress in that Creighton game. They were up by 20 within the first couple of minutes and then never relinquished the lead or it got into single digits the rest of the way. Come on. That's a, that's a look at me tweet. And, and, I, and I, got one more. So Brad Watchell, you know, bracketologist, after the win comes out and says, Seton Hall impresses at Xavier and adds a sixth quad one win to the Arsenal. Barring a loss to Georgetown on Wednesday. And then to them in the Big East tournament, this convincing win locks up an NCAA tournament bid for the Pirates. So, so wait a minute. This win locks up a bid, but only if you win two other games. (laughs) What's he talking about, man? Is it just me? Or did these things pop to you as well?
1: You you make it sound like, you know, social media isn't the, the location for these hot takes. You want the biggest hot take of all. Every time the Pirates win, John Rothstein comes out there and says, Oh, Kevin Willard, chiropractor. I mean, he doesn't even watch the game and he's calling these things like this. I mean, come on, Mike.
0: All right. So, so speaking of Brad Wachell and breaking down, you know, did Seton Hall lock up a bid? I, I, I think it's important that when we go to the resume tracking segment for this, this week's episode, you give me a little more latitude here because it's all about breaking down what happened with this victory in terms of the big picture. Don't put me on the two minute clock, Tommy. Don't do it.
1: Mike, you get too, way too excited about talking about other people's teams. Try to focus Try to stay in the moment. Try to stay Seton Hall-related here. I can do
0: that. You're going to give me more than two minutes if I do that? I'll give you three minutes today, okay? It's starting to tick, 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 tick. Don't tick, 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 tick. Come on. Uh, How many people after this game took that hot take of Seton Hall locked up a bit? And I'm not trying to say that they're not right there, but can we pump the brakes for just a second? They're in a great position at the moment, right? They're now five and six. Versus quad one opponents. They lost one when the net came out and readjusted. So Xavier dropped from 25 to 35 with the loss. And that makes their home victory now a quad two. So Brad was off, was correct in the moment, but then it changed overnight. They have three quad one road wins. They're eight and nine versus quad ones and two. Their net jumped from 38 up to a 32. Their Ken Palm dropped to a 28. And they are still solidly, as a projected eight to nine C line, we'll see where they kind of line up when most of the prognostications come out on on, on Monday morning. They might even kind of move up to a a seven, eight combination, depending on who you read. But I still think they're in this category of needing one more win to be safe because, and and play along with me here, tell, tell me if I'm off my rocker, if you lose out, that means that you now have a quad four home loss to Georgetown, who has not won a Big East conference game. And then you lose at Creighton. No shame in losing at Creighton. But by losing to Creighton, you then fall under 500 in conference play at 9 and 10 to finish the season. And because of that, you're going to play opening night of the Big East tournament and most likely get Georgetown again. And if you lost to Georgetown a second time in a short stretch, now you end up leaving yourself with two bad losses that could tank your net. You're below 500 in the conference, like we mentioned before, and your overall record is 17 and 12, not 18 and 12, because the NIAC win doesn't count. So if I told you they finished 17 and 12 with two losses to Georgetown, basically in their last three games, how are you feeling about their chances to get into the NCAA tournament? Or are you sweating a little bit? On Selection Sunday,
1: you are you are really sweating, and I don't think you make it at that point. I don't think a, a team who let, let's be honest here, if we lose to Georgetown twice, those are the only two Big East wins Georgetown gets this year. I, they're not winning another Big East game. That's going to be a big problem there,
0: Mike. So therefore, therefore, you did not lock up a tournament bid. With this win against Xavier, it puts you in a great position, but you are not locked in yet.
1: Well, you know, it, people are doing that nasty thing called assuming. They're assuming that the Georgetown games are given. We went down to D.C. We won the game. It was an overly impressive victory. I think it was seven points. But you got to think that at home on senior night, the Pirates are going to take care of business. Low it down, so I Tommy. I'm not doing people... my
0: three minutes. You're, you're previewing I already. I got A lot my... of
1: people are assuming that that's going to happen. But you're not wrong, Mike. And hey, weren't we the only ones screaming last year after that Butler loss late in the season that this is going to kill any chance of us making it to the tournament? I believe we were the only one saying that last year.
0: No, everyone said, oh, just one more win. Oh, you win this one. Oh, win the next one. Win the one after that. They were nowhere close to the bubble when all was said and done. I, I think they're in. I think they're way on the positive side. But you cannot lose out and it be twice to Georgetown. So like, like 95% locked your tournament bid, but not locked 100%. All right. Uh, I'm going to give you two more things here. We can really start tracking for the Big East tournament seating now with only two games to go. The reality is after St. John's loss to DePaul, they can't be any worse than sixth, which means that you're guaranteed to have that Georgetown matchup on the opening night. You're not going to get locked into that DePaul game. But they have a realistic shot for fifth. They could get a bye and not have to play that opening night. Right now, they stand two games behind Creighton with two to play for both, both teams. If we beat Georgetown and they lose at home to UConn, That leaves a one-game separation. That means that the game that we play on Saturday versus them becomes a winner-take-all, fifth-seed spot. Or at least that would give us the chance to pass them and take over the fifth seed because we would hold the tiebreaker based on our head-to-head sweep. And with the fact that Ryan Nemhart's out, their their freshman stud point guard, it becomes more of a reality. So, hey, that's a nice little nugget for how things are kind of tracking for Seton Hall. And I'll give you one more positive spin on all this because I'm going to talk a little bit about the other teams in the country. On Saturday, the top six teams ranked in the AP poll all lost, Tom. So, I mean, that just kind of tells me that maybe there's not a dominant team like there was last year or maybe two dominant teams like Baylor and Gonzaga were. And I know some of those teams lost to ranked opponents on the road. So there's no shame in that. But on any given day, some of these teams are fallible. So maybe Seton Hall, if they're in that, you know, seven, eight, nine seed range, and they find a way to get past the first one. Maybe there's a puncher's chance this year. There is no dominant team that's going to run them out of the building, you know, by 30, like Duke did to us after we upset Arizona that one year. I just, I don't feel like the top of the list is unbreakable. Do you?
1: No, not at all. Mike, this is going to be one of those seasons. But you know, before we get down that line, Mike, let's talk about what's going to happen this week. We've got Georgetown coming to the rock and we're traveling out to Omaha to play Creighton. Both of these games are second games in our series against these guys. So we've seen them. We know what they've got, but a few things about each Georgetown. It saddens me a little bit, Mike. It really saddens me because I spent a whole lot of time in my life hating Georgetown because it's a Big East foe. But 0-17 in conference play is just sad. And just to put that into context, they've been nowhere close, especially on the road. Besides Butler, Mike, they've played no opponent closer than 8 points away from D.C., and when they play at DC, it's an empty arena, Mike. It is sad.
0: Are these the final days of Patrick Ewing coaching in the Georgetown program?
1: Didn't they extend that
0: him last year? Oh, it? That doesn't matter. That doesn't matter. Oh, it
1: matters. Money matters, Mike. I'm telling you, it matters. I'm telling it's you, sad.
0: Georgetown will find a way to part ways properly with Patrick if that's the direction they want to go. I'm just saying, do we do we just end the misery now? Well, what, what's the what's the benefit of going one more season? He does a repeat of this, and then it's back-to-back years? You're going to let him go a whole nother season of getting browbeat in the conference? I mean, they, they can't let him go like another 0 for 8 to start conference play last year and let him struggle through a whole nother season. Don't do it. Just you know, end with, the misery.
1: Without getting into it too deep, Mike, do you think that potentially – Patrick coaches a little bit too much like John Thompson in the in in maybe not from the Xs and Os part not the strategy part but from just the attitude part and that doesn't work with the youngsters. We've said all season that Patrick was able to recruit talent but that talent never stayed. Do you think that's got something to do with it?
0: It probably, I mean, I grew up getting coached that way. And so I, I resonate with it. It yeah, to me, you, don't, it,
1: you didn't ever had any talent, Mike. So it didn't <laughs>
0: matter how they coached you, pal. I, stop it. I, I, I responded to people pushing me. I mean, maybe that was also part of my parental upbringing, but and maybe that's the part of my parenting for my son now, but I, 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 I can associate or understand where Patrick's coming from. That's the way I would coach, but maybe you have to adapt. And maybe Patrick's style is not adapting to today's generation of players because he has had that talent, unfortunately, transfer out. Now look, he still has some young talent on this team. Muhammad, Carey, Harris, they're all averaging in double figures. And if you go through their box scores in recent play, they've all jumped off the page and had some really big performances. They all just haven't been able to put it together collectively in the same effort. They're very inconsistent because of that youth. And Patrick hasn't been able to keep that youth around long enough for it to become a veteran team. But on a given night, if those three guys can go off and fill it up for 15 to 20 points, which they're all capable of doing and Georgetown gets to the line, they could be dangerous. They're scrapping. Look, they're fourth in the league in free throw percentage. And in the UConn game, they got to the line 35 times and made 28 attempts. If Seton Hall gets caught in that kind of a dogfight, scrap it out, hit the glass, get to the line, muck up the game, that's not where they want to be. I'm not saying they're going to beat them. Seton Hall is going to come in as a double-digit favorite, but don't take them for granted. They could have lightning in the bottle for a particular night. A team that has not won, if I were in that locker room, I, I would want to make sure that that is not the record that I leave on the uh, in the the pantheon of Georgetown record books that I was part of an 0 19 conference season. I, I do not want my name associated to that.
1: A little bit later that week on Saturday night, we travel out to Omaha to play Creighton. Creighton doesn't have its full complement of players either. Ryan Nebhart, their starting point guard this season out for the season with, I believe a broken wrist.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they're clearly going to struggle without having Nemhart. I mean, just the first game out of the blocks without him, they had to go into a hostile road environment uh, and play uh, the Friars. That was probably not going to be a realistic opportunity to knock off Providence there, but they got blown out of the building. We're complaining about trying to adjust with not having Bryce Aiken after 11 games still. And th- they're just now learning how to adjust with him for the second and third games this upcoming week. And they're a young team. They're going to ask freshman Trey Alexander to pick up the slack. You know, Trey, Trey's had a nice season. And in the last couple of games when he's backfield, he's had about four or five assists, but he's been averaging 24 minutes a game. He's been playing more of a shooting guard, small forward for them. And now he's being asked to play point guard and, and he had to play 34 minutes in that Providence game. You know, maybe he makes a quick transition, but that's a lot to ask in a big spot against Seton Hall on that last game of the season. It, it, it just is. And, and I don't think he's the X factor. If you ask me, I think Ryan Hawkins is the X factor. When he is on, he's been on this year. He's had six games of 25 plus. The kid can shoot the lights out from three when he's on. And he's another one of those big stretch fours that sometimes you don't have an answer for. But beyond that, Seton Hall's got a better shot in this one than I thought when we looked at it a couple weeks back. Don't you think?
1: Real quick with predictions, Mike, I see Seaton Hall having a really good shot of winning out here, Mike. You've got a Georgetown team that is just playing out the string, and you've got a wounded Creighton team. Hey, we all, we said all season, Creighton's young, but they're gonna put it together. But you know what? Right now, it's one more piece taken out of that puzzle. Seton Hall's got a good shot of walking into Omaha and walking out with a W.
0: Wait a minute, is that is that a hedge? Ha, has a good chance. We're in the prediction segment. You're always busting already my chops. I said
1: win. I already no, no, said you said win a good. And ch- out.
0: You said a good chance. Are you giving me a two and O? Oh?
1: I'm giving you a two and O, oh, baby.
0: Okay, I'm gonna hedge. I, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna give you a Georgetown W. And I'm a little disappointed. I've been saying it for like a month. We're gonna go in nine and nine into that Creighton game, and after they take care of business against Georgetown. Uh, I think they're going to be playing with some house money because uh, they already have ten wins. And I, you know what? I, I, I'm with you. I think the so Pirates are going to look for a little
1: mentality, Mike. House no, money. I think they're going to play 10 with and the nine, house. And you're like,
0: ten oh and eight, my... they'll be ten and eight. Uh, I think 10 they're 10 going to
1: go and they got house money. Oh my god, they it's, do because they'll be in it the sound tournament. Like they're fifteen and one, Mike. You're awful.
0: They'll be in the big dance. They're locked into the sixth seed in the Big East tournament. The pressure will be off. I think there might be a little bit of a revenge factor to try to get him back from two years prior. Go in.
1: in hall, I swear to I'm
0: God. I'm not thinking small. I'm trying to knock them down to the, to the sixth seed in the biggies tournament and give us the buy and make them play on that opening night. I'm not thinking small. I'm just saying if they happen to lose this game after knocking off Georgetown, I'm not coming on the podcast all salty.
1: I'm going to. All right. I'm going to. I'll take that money. I'll tell you what. I got a good. I think it's good money that you're going to come in here salty if they lose the. How are they they going to blow the game?
0: How they blow how they blow in the game versus trading so that I'm not going to. be salty.
1: Well, Mike, hey, it's been a long season. We're ready for one more week before the Big East tournament, which we always say is one of the best times of the year. Are you ready for this last week, Mike?
0: Or aren't you going to be sitting around the TV saying
1: go pirates.
0: And I'm going to be saying go big, go big blue. blue. <laughs> Thanks for joining another episode of left coast pirates. Be sure to follow us on SoundCloud, Apple podcasts, Spotify, or any of your other favorite listening platforms. Also be sure to follow us on Twitter with our handle at L coast pirates. And don't miss out on any of our previous episodes that include interviews with Seton hall legends, Danny Calandrillo, Mark Bryant, Andrew Gaze, Shaheen Holloway, and many others. For Tom Kaharski, I'm Mike Desiri, and you've been listening to Left Coast Pirates.